Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative columnist Larry Horst from Boca Raton, Florida. Eric Cohen from the Acton Institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Major William Myers, United States Marine Corps, retired from Indianapolis, Indiana. And in the second hour, we'll be joined by Rhonda Kennedy from California. She is running against uh, uh, one of the most uh, hated uh, members of uh, Congress, uh, and that's Adam Schiff. And uh, we'll also hear in the second hour uh, from Jeffrey Seitz. He is a Democrat candidate, and he is running against Jim Jordan, who is also one of the most loved or hated members of Congress. And uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Happy Easter to everyone. Our program coming due tonight from AM 560 WIND, the Salem Station in beautiful uh, Elk Grove Village, just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. Last week, the Biden administration announced that another $800 million in military aid is going to Ukraine, and uh, that includes a variety of uh, elements, uh, long-range artillery systems. Uh, it also includes an armored pers- armored personnel carriers. It also includes drones and also helicopters, and uh, also uh, those are the ma- those are the major points. And uh, a, a frequent guest on this program in recent months has been William Myers, retired major, U.S. Marine Corps. He joins us from Indianapolis, Indiana. And, uh, Bill, every time we have you on the program, it seems that the administration is $800 million here and then $600 million, And every week we seem to be having these uh, astronomical uh, continued military uh, gifts to uh, Ukraine. Um, are we getting our money's worth, and, and, and how, how are these... How is this military largesse, how is it being uh, accounted for on the receiving end? So personal opinion leading into this, I think sure. the first part of your question, Bruce, uh, I believe, yes, we are we are getting our bang for the buck in terms of, uh, you know, there's, a, there's not just a war going on, there's a culture war, if you will, a power war. Uh, the Soviet, or not the Soviets, but the Russians versus the the West, mm-hmm. um, and we have to fight this thing somehow. Uh, we can't really feel good about going in there with uh, with U.S. troops, etc., uh, NATO troops. So we have to send weapons, and we're sending good quality weapons now. So uh, I'm personally happy to see that we are paying the money to to send effective weaponry to help the Ukrainians fight their battle. When we say, or uh, the administration says. $800 million in military hardware. Where is that hardware coming from? I mean, I don't want to give any national secrets away, but I mean, how how much weaponry do we have stored someplace? No. Uh, I cannot give you a specific answer on that I don't yeah. know, but I do know that they've gone out recently and talked to the weapons manufacturers. I think they're trying to uh, convince them to, to increase production. Uh, I know we have surprising amounts of stores at uh, logistics bases 
all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm sure this is budgeted and we can we can do this. Mm-hmm. And also uh, last week, uh, President Vol- uh, Zelensky of uh, Ukraine, uh, he basically said that, you know, he, he gets frustrated when he's talking to world leaders because they will ask him, what can you do? What can you do for we? What can we do for you now? And he says it's like Groundhog Day. It's the same question from the day before. I mean, yeah. the the wish list really hasn't changed. And I'm wondering uh, whether or not if we're spending eight hundred million dollars, which is just the last tranche of, of weapons we're sending there. I mean, uh, where does this factor into what uh, the United Kingdom is sending and France might be sending and other countries around the world. I mean, it seems to me that uh, uh, there's, a, there's a, no pun intended, a boatload of weapons heading there. And I'm wondering, uh, I'm, I'm starting to worry about the, the fiscal uh, constraints of uh, how long we can continue to do this. Well, if you're asking me to, to yeah, speak about that, I, I, that, I was very impressed uh, last week when Boris Johnson went to Ukraine and yep. spoke boldly that we will support you. By we, I took it, he meant the, uh, the United Kingdom. Right. Um, I, and you and I have spoken briefly in the past. I, the United States is stepping up. We're providing good support for the Ukrainians, but we're not providing the, the highly visible leadership that that unites nato that unites the the eu uh into a, a you know a groundswell of support for the ukraine so this whole thing to me seems like it's a a slow motion move to have some meetings and have some some dialogue and think about it but if you're a, a ukrainian you need these missiles yesterday eric you are a, sort of a republican but you've mm-hmm. got a very strong libertarian perspective uh, where do you come down on the United States' ability to continue to give and support this war at the levels that the United States has supported it thus far? I think it is entirely reasonable and justifiable to continue to support Ukraine against uh, this expansionist and aggressive Russian power that they are currently fighting back. If I'm going to get my uh, my green eye shade on, my fiscal hawk hat on, my problem is not with $800 million that we are sending to support Ukraine in a, a fight for their very existence. My problem is with the O. Oh, Uh, carry the one eight or so trillion dollars that we spend over the course of the pandemic, the spending that happened during the Obama administration, the spending that happened during the George W. Bush administration. The reason you don't spend profligately like that in peacetime, in good times, is so that when you do get into bad times, you don't find yourself with trillions of dollars in debt and facing down the prospect of if the uh, interest rates go up even slightly, the debt payments become, uh, it's not long before it becomes a major pain source for the United States, for the American people and for taxpayers. So I, I'm not as concerned on the, the the amount of money we're sending to support the Ukrainians as I am about just about everything else we've been spending money on for about the last 20 years. Larry so. Horst is a fiscal conservative. He joins us from Boca Raton, Florida tonight. Larry, uh, uh, has your uh, have your green eye shades uh, gone on insofar as how uh, much money we are spending uh, on this war thus far? Yeah, it's not a matter of spending on the war. I, I think uh, I wrote a column today that the General Miley said this is going to be a long war. If it's a long war, we lose. Uh, Ukraine loses. Um, there's going to come a time when the American public and the Congress people are going to say, you know, we just can't keep spending at this rate. We can't spend a billion, billion here every few months, another billion. But that brings to the other question. 
everybody says they want to defeat uh, uh, Putin, but I don't think we're in a position to defeat Putin. The first part of the war was advantage Zelensky. They were in the west part of the, uh, the country where the uh, supply lines for the Russians were longer. It was a forested part where ambushing works better. Uh, they know the terrain. The Russians didn't know the terrain. Uh, they didn't do so well in, in, the, in the west, but it didn't stop them. And now they're mounting a major attack in the east. They've now made a bridge between the, the Crimea to, to the other parts of the Donbass. Mm -hmm. And they're in a, in a position that they can put unlimited amounts of military against what Ukraine has and what we can put in. I have contended that if we want to defeat Putin, there's only one way to defeat Putin, and that's we have to act militarily. Okay, when we come back, I want uh, Bill Myers to weigh in on that. 1-800-723-8289. Those listening around the country may want to weigh in as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. 
If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont continues from Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Major Myers, a bill uh, or Larry Horace before the break said that uh, uh, that ultimately the United States has to get involved militarily if we really want to stop Russia. Do you agree with that? Probably so, yes. And by we, uh, I think that means NATO, the European Union, all right. of our allies. It's not a matter of the United States going over there unilaterally and, and squaring off against Russia. But uh, my personal feeling is we we must win this conflict, uh, an ideological conflict, if you will, mm-hmm. as to who holds the balance of power and in, uh, in international influence in the next decade, two decades. Who, who knows? We have to win this. And uh, you know, Putin continues to 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 wave the nuclear card, and and I think all of the West cringes because nobody wants a nuclear war, but. Something I don't think the Russians want one any more than we do, and I think maybe we should be a little bit more aggressive about considering at what point do we, we being all of us in the West, say we're not going to put up with this anymore and and go to battle. Well, clearly, uh, a new world order is being rewritten. We're seeing it, uh, you know, unfold every single day. Uh, Eric, to you on the issue of whether or not a war, a military fighting between the United States and Russia is 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 part of the answer ultimate answer uh in this drama if the united states and nato were to get involved militarily then i i agree with um uh, my fellows on the program this evening that it would probably uh, create cir- circumstances making it far more likely that uh, ukraine would prevail um, the reality is though that that is almost certainly not going to happen there is no appetite amongst the american people to get involved militarily they keep saying that they want us to do more but given the experience that we had over the last 20 years in iraq and afghanistan i cannot see us saying yes let's go in and get involved in ukraine against russia it is unlikely to happen unless putin does something incredibly ill-advised and actually does attack uh, a NATO ally or move into uh, NATO allied territory. And he certainly seems to be reckless and he certainly seems to have overestimated his capacity with Ukraine, but I don't see him doing that. And as a result, I don't see the United States and NATO getting involved. I understand the political position that no one uh, wants a, a nuclear war. And clearly, uh, the Biden administration and many people on, on, on the on Congress, in Congress, Republicans and Democrats, they're, they're worried uh, whenever Vladimir Putin talks about nuclear weapons. They're scared. They, they, I, think they're, I think we're more, uh, we are more afraid of Russia than Russia is of us. Larry, do you agree with right. that? Yeah, I think that's right. But I think we also have to understand what it means that a nuclear attack you know, there are limited tactical low-yield nuclear weapons that he could use. Right. Now, that would be a nuclear attack. But I think a lot of times the debate has the imagery of 1950s movies, that somehow the whole globe will go up in, you know, nuclear. I don't think there's a prayer that Putin would even launch that kind of an attack. Now, the question is, what do we do if he takes a tactical low-yield weapon and you know, puts it into uh, Kiev or something. Where would he? Where would he uh, likely flex his nuclear uh, muscle? In your opinion, Major? 
Again, we're role playing now. I mean, we're at, we're not projecting anything, but again, where, where would he play? Because obviously, uh, Chicago isn't going to be hit. Oklahoma City isn't going to be hit. Well, I don't think Florida's not going to be here. Uh, begin with a, a strike against us directly, right. but probably something limited in Ukraine would be the first step, I think, down that path. But doesn't he? Doesn't he then? Um, ultimately inherit a country potentially that has all kinds mm-hmm. of radiation and and health related issues would he not consider that well i think all of us normally would but yeah. we, we question what exactly uh putin will do and and you know he just assigned a new uh, <clears throat> excuse me a new commander uh the butcher of syria yeah uh, known for for genocide uh and chemical warfare and and so you really do have to scratch your head about the recklessness of this regime um, and how ruthless and bloodthirsty they actually are. Eric, are you comfortable that the citizens of the United States are getting an accurate uh, view of the war and who's winning and who's losing and how this thing is evolving? I think we're really... getting about as accurate a picture as we possibly can. Okay. I mean, let's be clear. There is a lot of propaganda that is being produced by both sides in all of this and right. for quite understandable reasons uh, from the Ukrainians as well as from the Russians. Uh, there's a lot of fog of war problems. There are a lot of things that are we're not going to know until well after the fact. But I, I see no reason to suggest to me that we are not about as well informed on this as we possibly could be, uh, given those realities and given those circumstances. Do you think we're at a point, and this was the question I asked a few weeks ago, do you think we may be moving towards a point where the people who at this moment may not be for an expanded war with more people involved are watching these horrible images every single night on television, and there are elected officials who are worried about that they may be more conservative than uh, their their electorate, but the electorate will begin to put pressure on Republicans and Democrats to say, because they are the ones that are asking, let's do more. It's, it's defining the word more. I mean, this frustration, I mean, if we're talking about this a year from now, and, and we're still saying, and we're still spending sending $800 million every, every month or two, um, and, and, and these war crime-like pictures keep coming into our television sets, the American people at some point are going to blow their stack. Larry, I d- am, I mis- am I misinterpreting the possibility of the American people responding to this? Well, you know, Bernal, Rizal, I'll answer that quickly. Yeah, the American people are ahead of the politicians on this. I think that's uh, true in Europe and other places. But I think for the United States, NATO, uh, the European Union to get involved, we have to look at what does that? It's not a declaration of war on Russia. It's a declaration of the defense of Ukraine. So we would attack military uh, operations in Ukraine and military uh, operations on the border of Russia that are sending missiles into Ukraine. It's not a march. It's not an invasion. It's not a march to Moscow. Could that and that's def- what I think we should do. Could that definition be explained to the American people, Bill? It, a very it limited could. Those, response. Those things are routinely not explained well, but right. Um, 
Yes. You know, you think about the uh, uh, Desert Storm and the, the actual mission was to liberate Kuwait. And, and everybody was uh, upset that we didn't go on to Baghdad, which I was one of them, by the way, but right. that wasn't the mission. Uh, the mission said get to the border of Kuwait, set those people free, and that's what we did. Uh, so there's, it's, it's hard to explain what the mission is a lot of times, or, or, or else various uh, uh, administrations don't do a very good job of it. Now, this past week, Donald Trump endorsed J.D. Vance uh, in the very important Ohio Republican primary. Uh, he's Vance is not in the lead. This is another time where Trump has picked, uh, you know, a political horse uh, that's 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 down on the at least the recent polls. But J.D. Vance is is vehemently opposed to doing anything more uh, for Ukraine, uh, and he is, you know, he, he's speaking about as isolationist as you can. And I'm wondering, he's obviously got the ear of Donald Trump. Uh, could Donald Trump lose his following if he becomes too much of an isolationist? Or by being an isolationist, is that what makes Donald Trump so popular to many Republicans? Eric. I don't think he's going to lose his following for uh, continuing to be, um, and I, I want to be clear about uh, the, the terminology here. Um, he's not quite an isolationist. He is certainly a non-interventionist. And I have not, my own non-interventionist tendencies. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to lose his following because of that. Uh, I think, and I don't even know that how much his endorsement actually matters. I think one of the things that's interesting that we have learned about Donald Trump's political clout is he's not doing all that well in terms of endorsements. However, when he attacks somebody, that is not necessarily a death blow, but that is a, a huge impact on that individual politician. Uh, so it's almost more important who he chooses to go after than who he chooses to back. But I just, I don't see there being a whole heck of a lot of people that are going to um, support or, or stop supporting Donald Trump because of his views on foreign policy. I mean, he has been um, very, kind words towards Vladimir Putin, even as Vladimir Putin has been invading Ukraine, and it has not seemed to cost him any support. Now, I find that um, saddening, but uh, unfortunately, that just seems to be the reality. Larry, what is your uh, reaction to uh, the most recent endorsements by Donald Trump? He has not picked uh, the, the odds-on favorite in any of the most recent uh, endorsements that he's made, whether it's in North Carolina or uh, with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania or with J.D. Vance. He's picking the guy that's, you know, maybe out there in, in you know, second or third place. Does that does that surprise you? He's, he's not he's not well, picking the favorite know, at the moment. I think the thing that keeps uh, Trump powerful, if you will, influential is the liberal media. I don't think yeah. the public is with him. I think he's losing his base. I think if you look at specifics around the country, I think he's losing that ability to say, go right, you go right, go left, you go left. Uh, he doesn't have that kind of following anymore. And it seems to me based that on a, what, a lot Larry? of elections based on show what? that. Based on what? Uh, based on his uh, approval ratings, which have been dropping. Yeah. Uh, based on uh, the elections you see where people are not talking about Trump. You know, they're saying, look, I'm running. Don't talk to me about Trump. Trump is not the president of the United States. He's not the guy making the decisions. You know, the media may keep propping him up every day, but the people back home and the people I talk to, the people I respond to my writings, they don't really, even Trump people, they're not wanna, that committed to him as a person. I want to hear from our listeners on that point. 
1-800-723-8029. That's the number. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Beyond the Beltway. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Uh, we're going to take a moment now and let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Larry Horace down there in Boca Raton, Florida. Larry? Well, I am currently a retired but not retired writing. I do about 50 commentaries for online uh, sites every month. I'm finishing a book on race. Uh, that's what I did when I left Chicago and what I called retirement, left my consulting business behind and uh, the things I enjoyed doing for so many years, as you know well, mm-hmm. Bruce. 
and uh, that's me. <laughs> Very good. Uh, William Myers, Major, retired U.S. Marine Corps. That's the that's the quick headline on you. But Bill, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. A graduate of um, Indiana University. I spent about 27 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, actually retired a while back and have done a number of things, but most recently I've been writing books. I'm kind of double retired here out in the middle of my cornfield in Indiana and living the good life. How do people in Indiana, within your sphere of friendship, how do they feel about Vice President Pence? Oh, he's he's very well supported uh, it, by pretty much everybody I know. I'm sure there are a few that, that didn't... Uh, you know, think highly of him, but he's, he's very well respected here in Indiana. Would you like to see him run for president? Perhaps. I'd like to, I'd like to hear what his platform was and, and how he presented himself. Uh, I think he was a, an excellent vice president. And even, even though many Trump people uh, uh, despised him at the end, do you still think that uh, uh, he could be a viable candidate in a Republican primary? Oh, I do. He's a very solid. Uh, he's a very, very solid citizen. Uh, he's an intelligent mm -hmm. man. He's a moral man. Um, I think that that thing at the very end of the administration was a a, a bold stand, uh, and properly made. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so he made a hard decision. So uh, I, I think very highly of him. Eric Cohn, before we uh, let you speak of yourself, uh, what what would your reaction be to uh, Vice President? Uh, Pence is is he a viable candidate in the future? In your view, I'm not sure, but I would like to see him run for all of those reasons because I think he has the potential of being interesting. He was, of course, the vice president to Donald Trump, but he was the person at the end of the day who was the subject of so much vitriol, and in fact, people who, according to their own words, wanted to hang Mike Pence because he wouldn't act unconstitutionally to overturn an election and hand it to Donald Trump. So I think he presents some, um, you know. Uh, an opportunity to heighten some contradictions that I would uh, like to see heightened. Tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty here in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, we're a internationally focused uh, think tank that works on uh, connecting good intentions with sound economics. Our most recent project is a documentary film on uh, the freedom fighter Jimmy Lai, uh, possibly the most famous imprisoned uh, newspaper man in all of the world. He's imprisoned in Hong Kong. And if you want to know more about that film, you can go to thehongkongermovie.com and learn more there. Okay. And uh, let me also uh, uh, mention that uh, if you are a regular listener to this program, uh, we're going to tell you about the uh, uh, the flashback that we have on our website, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. It's the flashback. Uh, every week we launch something from our archives of literally almost 40 years of programming. Uh, it's usually very interesting. It gives you an opportunity to sort of uh, literally flash back to a moment in time and hear the, 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 the same week conversation about important issues in the past. So if you're into history, uh, I think you'd, you'd you'd like it very much. Let's go to Youngstown, Ohio, and Tom, who's a regular listener. Tom, nice to have you with us this evening. Thank you, Bruce, and happy Easter to you and your Happy guests. Easter to you, but before you ask me your question, because you're you're unique, uh, you're, you're, you're in Youngstown, which is right on the border with uh, western Pennsylvania, uh, so my question to you is, what was your personal reaction to Donald Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance? Um, 
I'll tell you, I, I can see what he's doing, but I don't necessarily agree with it, because it's my okay. understanding that in the past, Vance was against uh, Trump. Uh, yes. But I, I think Trump is, is looking from the standpoint of right now is the immediate situation. It's getting enough uh, Republicans to stop the, the bleeding that's being done by the Biden administration uh -huh. in, in every way possible. You know, you brought up uh, the idea about $8,800 million uh, a month going to uh, Ukraine in military equipment. Not a month, mentioned, but periodically. Well, okay, yeah. and I, meant, I mentioned to your uh, uh, producer that maybe we could beg, like we've done for the oil with the uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, I'm sorry, with Iraq and with uh, uh, the Arab nations uh, for oil, maybe we could be beg uh, Taliban for some of our $80 billion worth of uh, equipment back. Not coming back. To... You're not going to no, get I know. <laughs> but here's, here's the main thing. When you consider that we're, we're having a hard time right now getting parts for cars because of uh, – uh, you know, the, the production and so forth, and Shanghai being a major port, and that being shut down right now. So we're going to, you know, we're in a, a real fix to take, to deplete what we have on in reserve and send it over is also mm -hmm. very alarming. Right. But uh, g g following up on that and also expanding back to my, my question about J.D. Vance, uh, he appears to be sort of the uh, the the isolationist or the non-interventionist in the race, which is a card that Donald Trump uh, played. Now, when when you're out shopping or socializing in any way, what are your neighbors talking about, Tom? You, you know what? Most of my neighbors don't talk with me because I'm a Trump I'm a Trump supporter. I okay. let it known, and, and a, a, a lot of people, you know, either don't want to. Talk about politics, okay. or 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 they uh, you know sort of shun the idea. But when you look at the voting record in this area, a lot more people voted for Trump than didn't. And and you know you mentioned Pence. I view Pence as a Bob Dole, a John McCain, a Mitt Romney, a Mitt R uh, Romney, Romney mm -hmm. uh, from the standpoint of being very presidential, but is going to lose because Trump I, again, Bruce. He was willing to go for the jugular. He had the fire in the belly. Uh, he had innovative ideas, and, and he kept his word. And he's the only guy I can think of, with possible exception of Harry Truman, yeah. that came out of the presidency poorer than he went in. Yeah, but there's a lot of Republicans and a lot of people, just citizens of the United States, that may say, you know, Donald Trump was a good president. They may agree with you on that. But Donald Trump has been a horrible ex-president, and that ex-presidency started the day after, uh, you know, he, he lost the election. Whether you believe it or not, the point is he's not the president of the United States anymore. And, Bruce, and, and at we, one we're point, getting at, information. At one point, but, at one, but at one point, the only person that stood up for those forces, and there were many forces like that, the majority of the forces in the country were like that. The only person that stood up and said basically no to Donald Trump is Mike Pence. Okay, let me. A ask lot of people you this. like that. Tom, you may okay. not. You know. Well, he was right. <laughs> yes. Let, let, let me. Larry, let me ask Larry just right. said he was right. So go go ahead, Tom. Let me ask you this: uh, We're finding out now about the fake dossier. 
Yes. Um, when are we going to find out why Nancy Pelosi and the mayor of Washington, D.C. did not call up the National Guard? At, as I understand it, Trump signed off on 20,000 National Guard uh, troops a few days before the January 6th situation. They are all, they are all valuable historic questions that should be asked and should be answered the issue exactly. about the do- the question of the, the 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 question ability of the dossier was was known before the election day okay it's been verified now but america knew about that then i'm just saying is when it came when it came right down i'm talking about when you've got thousands of people chanting outside uh, the us capitol there was one person that stood up and said no to Donald Trump. By the way, he's the only one in the last year and a half who has actually said Donald Trump was wrong. No, no other Republican has said that. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, for all those people out there who despise Donald Trump, and I'm not trying to build a case for Mike Pence, I'm just saying is there's a hell of a lot of people out there that admired Mike Pence. They, they, they will view... Uh, the fact that he was vice president for four years as a negative, but they will remember that when the history of the country is written, Mike Pence will be a guy who will stand out. Bruce, if I uh, if I may, um, one one second to 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 you to you, and then we're going to hear our guest. Go ahead, Tom. First, go ahead. No, no. The only thing I'm saying is that I look, I understand what you're saying, Bruce. But yes. I, what I'm saying is this: this whole situation has been so one-sided with communication. I, I, I applaud what Elon Musk is trying to do in terms of, of opening up the communication network so As that do it's I. two way instead of one way. And, and with that coming, you know, two years away, if he is able to do that, if he's able to break through that that barrier and create a two-way communication between the American people and what's going on, then I think you're going to see a whole different ballgame than the way it appears now. I agree. Stay on the line. Eric, comment to you. Uh, three quick things. Um, the first, uh, to the points that Tom was raising about uh, questions maybe about the National Guard, boy, that sure sounds like the kind of thing that a maybe a, I don't know, a bipartisan commission might have been good uh, to have to look into. The uh, second point, um, I, I think... Tom uh, actually answered here the reason why Trump endorsed J.D. Vance. Before I get to that, um, uh, the point about non-interventionism, Mike Gibbons, the leading candidate, models himself after Rand Paul. He would be non-interventionist. Josh Mandel, uh, the other of the three major candidates, is a political windsock. In whatever Mm -hmm. way the direction that the Republican Party is blowing, Josh Mandel is going to go that way. It is non-interventionist right now. Thus, he would be non-interventionist. So I don't see this as being all that salient an issue. Mm -hmm. But finally, Tom explained exactly why Trump endorsed J.D. Vance, because Vance was once critical of Trump. And what Trump wants more than anything else from people like that is that they submit to him. And Vance has groveled as much as he possibly can, and admittedly so have all the other candidates in that race to get Trump's endorsement. But he groveled enough to get Trump's endorsement because that's what Trump wants. He wants to cow people okay. and he wants them to submit to him. We've got a pause. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much uh, for joining us this evening. And uh, I want to switch gears be in our last segment here. Uh, Eric, uh, the focus of uh, national news media this past week, in addition uh, to the shooting uh, in the subway uh, in, in New York City, uh, where the people of New York and uh, the, the perpetrator involved uh, helped solve that problem real quickly uh, by uh, arresting him when he had called in and uh, said he wanted to turn himself in. But again, uh, the, the work hours that the police department uh, put in in New York City also should be congratulated. But there was the shooting uh, uh, of an unarmed black man uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's uh, your adopted hometown now. Uh, how calm are things in Grand Rapids? Uh, how calm were they last night? 
They've been relatively calm. I was at, uh, we have a minor league hockey team here in Grand Rapids. I was at the game on Friday night. There was a, a march. It was entirely peaceful. Um, so they had obviously prepared. There are uh, barricades up in front of police headquarters, which is right downtown, not far from my office building. Uh, but the, the marches have been peaceful uh, as opposed to, say, the riot that we had here in Grand Rapids back in uh, May of 2020 mm-hmm. um, after the George Floyd incident. Um, but n- nonetheless, I mean, there is uh, there are a lot of people who are upset about what happened. And I think it. And unfortunately, is one of these circumstances, unlike uh, the George Floyd incident, that I think is more complicated than uh, it looks at first. Uh, and it, we do seem to be have a process that is playing itself out. And um, I, I don't know what justice looks like in this case. Uh, my first reaction to the video when I saw it is that it looks very, very bad. There is a police officer who has um, uh, Mr. Leolia on the ground and he shoots him in the back of the head they had wrestled over his taser they're wrestling over a non-deadly weapon um i think one of the biggest takeaways from this is it is not a great idea that police officers are working alone there should be if there were two officers there i don't think that uh uh, mr leoya ends up dead uh it is a tragedy in that sense and i think that there are some changes that should be made to policing uh but the simple reality also remains that um running from the police wrestling over the officer's taser are certainly not advisable but on the other hand boy you certainly hope that there's a way that these things uh can end without the penalty for people doing something stupid like that is that they die larry you're writing a book on race uh what are your thoughts on this issue well you know every one of these cases is different and you know you get the foreman case where obviously a lot of people saw what happened, and I think justice was you know, pretty well served in that. I watched the video uh, of this one, and I'll tell you, I, I came away thinking, not, not knowing what to think, because he clearly resisted arrest. He was clearly fighting the officer. The officer was telling him not to touch the taser, not to do this. These are all provocative acts that under the rules, you know, suggest that uh, lethal force is legitimate. So, you know, why was he resisted? Why did the whole fire? Now, is if the fight, you know, the guy who was filming, if you remember, he was saying, oh, he's not resisting. He's not resisting. And I'm looking at a film with a guy resisting. Right. So I, I agree with Eric. It's a complex one. There's things we don't know. We only saw one perspective. Uh, it's going to have to get investigated. But I don't come down on that uh, this was, a, you know, unwarranted shooting. And I'm not coming down to say that uh, maybe it was a bad shooting. I don't know. Is it, is it racist to say in this case and in a lot of other similar cases that what needs to be done is the black community, the leaders of the black community, have got to make a very special effort to communicate to young blacks that if you're stopped by the police, stop, don't run away. And if you run away, it looks like you're either running away from the crime, you're running away because you have a warrant for your arrest, or you're, there's some reason, there's some negative reason why you are running, and the best thing to do is stop and answer the questions of the police. Is it racist? to say that? Or is that just a, a white privilege response? Because it seems to me uh, a, a, an easy answer to the, uh, to the epidemic 
that we have in the country. Bill Myers, it's I want to get I want to get your common re- sense. I want to get yeah, your I want to get Bill's response. We haven't heard yeah. Bill's response. Bill. Well, I you know this is interesting, and and of course I think all of us on this show tonight uh, are are hamstrung by the fact that we were not raised in inner city communities, right? And don't and don't know the cultural uh, background, but. Um, uh, yeah, it does seem like absolutely common sense for any parent uh, to to counsel young people. If if you run afoul of the law, or it seems to be, then stop and and let the thing play out, and, and let's trust to the system. I I have heard anecdotal things from uh, from black associates and friends of mine uh, on this topic, where where they were taught by their parents. The, the person I'm thinking of in particular, by the way, is a PhD. Uh, Etc. He's very, very successful black man in our society. But he, his parents told him, uh, you know, uh, be careful. To, you know, don't be caught on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's bad advice, I think, to anybody in, in our society. And um, I don't know where to take that. But oh, Bruce, this is a reality that there is just there is a distrust of police officers amongst certain communities. I mean, I always go back to the Ferguson uh, incident with Michael Brown, where it made sense to me immediately. You know, we had all. Uh, all of right-wing America was making a big deal about how hands up, don't shoot wasn't true. He didn't have his hands up. And I was, look, that was verified by Obama's Justice Department. That is actually, that is absolutely true. He did not have his hands up. But the reality is that that community doesn't trust the police because the only interactions they ever have with them are for traffic fines, they're for occupancy permit violations. They are treated like ATMs Mm -hmm. by the police department there that doesn't have enough, there's not enough money to run city budgets. So a lot of them are overly uh, Mm -hmm. reliant on police enforcement. There are trust issues. Um, Now, I, I think it is very clear. And one of the things we should say about this incident in Grand Rapids, there is nothing to suggest, there is nothing I have seen yet to suggest that race had anything to do with this incident. Um, I think the tragedy is of a much more fundamental level that has to do with the nature of uh, Mm -hmm. both policing and of the behavior of the victim in this incident. And it's a tragedy and we should want to avoid it. But it is just that, a tragedy. I've got to say uh, thank you you all for being, we're out of time on our hour So thank you all, Eric Cohen, Bill Myers, and Larry Horst. Thanks very much for joining us. It leads to a broader discussion as to whether or not traffic stops are something that should be stopped by police departments around the United States. A future discussion on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont. Another full hour coming up. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway for hour number two of our program this evening. And uh, Rhonda Kennedy is joining us. And you might want to say, well, who on earth is Rhonda Kennedy? Well, she is a candidate for Congress. Uh, She is running from uh, the the great state of California. And a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Jeffrey Seitz. Uh, He is a Democrat, and he is running for Congress from Ohio. And uh, I thought it would be interesting because I think, you know, there are 435 members of the House. Most people, hopefully, know their congressman, but we know based on all kinds of uh, surveys that a lot of people don't even know who their congressman is. And if you ask them to name members of Congress, uh, maybe even a politically astute person might be able to name, you know, 5, 10, 15, whatever it is, but not many more. Uh, And uh, yet some Congress members become household words uh, and and instantly when they become a household word, it's because they've been on television a lot, and they instantly become a favorite to some and one of the most hated members of Congress <laughs> to many others. And so tonight we're going to have guests on, a Republican and a Democrat. They're not going to be on together, so they're not vying for specific votes, at least uh, uh, in combat with one another. But one wants to retire Adam Schiff the Democrat uh, from California, from uh, Congress, and I'm sure a lot of people would love to send him packing. And in the second uh, portion of our program tonight, there's a lot of people that would like to see Jim Jordan, the motor mouth from uh, Ohio, thrown out of the House. And uh, we'll hear from Jeffrey Seitz about that. But we begin with uh, Rhonda Kennedy. She joins us uh, from Burbank, California. She's been on this program before, actually, the last congressional cycle. Uh, She was running in another race before some of the the real 
alignment that took out there. So, uh, Aranda, thank you very much. Nice to have you back on uh, on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Thanks for having me, and happy Easter to you all. Thank you. Happy Easter to you. Uh, For those listening around the country, I I can say that you're from California's 30th District, and no one would even know, even the people in the 30th District don't know exactly what that means. So paint a picture for us. Name some of the the more well-known towns or communities that are in your new congressional district that you would like to represent. I have Burbank, Glendale, Hollywood, West Hollywood, um, part of Pasadena uh, and um, Glendora, so it's it's at West Hollywood as well. That's another big city, West Hollywood. Okay, so at least a couple of those uh, locations. When you mention them to me, uh, they seem very very liberal or very very left. Uh, is that a fair assessment? And again, uh, why would people of that district want to throw out uh, one of the most uh, liberal members of Congress? Why did they replace Adam Schiff with Rhonda Kennedy? Because Rhonda Kennedy will actually represent the entire district. Um, Adam Schiff is, he needs to retire. He's been there for 20 years. Um, The district is is in disarray. Hollywood, he has Hollywood. And, you know, Hollywood's not Hollywood anymore. Movies are made in Canada, Louisiana, Georgia. And I want to help bring the industry back to California, which means jobs. As a member of Congress, how would you do that? Well, as a member of Congress, I would I would uh, influence the state with the power of the purse strings to um, have more incentives um, and less regulations to bring industry back to California. I mean, this is Hollywood. This was, used to be the movie capital of the world. It's not anywhere no, anymore. Movies are being made all over the all over the country, and they're also being made outside of the country, which is revenue and jobs that are flooding from our state. But is that is that a federal responsibility to bring uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars for one specific district, for one specific industry? Is that is that a proper role for Congress? It's a proper role for the for the congressional member that represents that district okay. and my constituents, um, because that's that's what I'm going to be concerned about. I'm concerned about um, what goes on in California, what goes on right here in in CA 30. And mm-hmm. I think if more um, more congressional members are doing that, I think this country would be um, much better off than it is right now. I mean, Adam Schiff is too busy worrying about January 6th instead of worrying about his district mm-hmm. and his constituents. Should there be any interest in, in January 6th? you think that, that Adam Schiff uh, has over-responded to it, and certainly you feel the same way about uh, his involvement no, in the impeachment? I think it's but... a waste of... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. It, it, it's... It's a waste of taxpayers' dollars, just like the the two impeachments that they did on President Trump was a waste of taxpayers' dollars. Do you know how many small businesses they could have supported? How many small businesses could have opened? How many small businesses could have stayed open and not closed after the dismal um, COVID-19 handling that put thousands of small businesses um, out of and people out of work? I think we need to get back to basics. We need to get back to the small businesses, which is what I'm going to support. Small businesses are the backbone of America. And COVID-19 has destroyed so many businesses. And the the money that's being spent on the January 6th committee, the two impeachments, and all the other nonsense that's going on could have been used to support 
um, support small businesses and and actually started to employ people again in couldn't, this country could, and particularly here in California. Couldn't you also say that about eight hundred million dollars for weaponry to go to Ukraine? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, first of all, we wouldn't have a Ukraine problem if we didn't have such a weak president. So, absolutely. The, the money that in the ABIC, Explain that to it, me. Well, well, all if you see any videos of Joe Biden, yeah. you can tell that he's weak. He he's weak. He he lets he lets people and he lets, uh, other foreign countries walk all over him. He's not he this would have never happened under President Trump. I'm how sorry, is he? Joe. How is he letting people walk all over him now in his current role in conducting the war in Ukraine? Well, this is prior to the war in Ukraine. No, but I mean, I mean let, when, let's look at now. It, it, are people around the world? Are leaders around the world walking all over him now? Yes, they're walking all over him. In what way? Joe Biden is. In what way? Well, we're we're in a war. Well, there's a war right now. Russia right. had the nerve to attack you to attack Ukraine, right. and I believe the reason why he why Putin did this now was under the Biden administration because he knows that Biden is weak and nothing's going to happen. This didn't happen under President Trump's administration. Uh, this didn't even really happen under um, Obama's administration. Joe Biden is weak, and I believe the the other leaders in the world smells blood in the water because we have such a weak president. I mean, we weren't in war. As a matter of fact, soon as President Trump took office, North Korea was in check. Mm -hmm. We really had no issues. We had no real um, threats and foreign issues while President Trump was president. Do you? This think all happened when Joe Biden took over. Do you think that uh, President Trump's handling of his relationship? Uh, with President Zelensky, uh, you know, a couple of years ago that led to his first impeachment. Do you think that President uh, Trump was playing uh, a footloose and fancy with the release of weapons that President Zelensky was waiting for? And had he received them then, maybe uh, the result would be different. Any possibility of that? I don't think that's a possibility. Okay. No. Rhonda Kennedy is joining us tonight, 1-800-723-8289, a congressional candidate, uh, Republican and Democrat, in this hour. Give us a call, 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumont. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. 
But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We're talking to uh, Rhonda Kennedy. She's a candidate for Congress uh, out in California. And uh, you mentioned uh, Hollywood and some of the more well-known, in some cases, affluent members uh, or areas of your district. But I also know, because I travel in that district from time to time, uh, you also have a, a, a serious homelessness problem there, as well as elsewhere in the congressional districts of Los Angeles. And I'm wondering, uh, as a as a Republican, uh, what is the what should be the federal response to homelessness and uh, the degree to which homelessness has really, in many cases, ruined communities? Well, one of the problems in California that um, that the homelessness comes from is just the the cost of living. I mean, the cost of living here in California is ridiculous. If you are make $100,000 a year, you're in the poverty level. Whereas in other states, you can live very comfortably and have an, you know, support an entire family in other states. Um, our taxes are, are extremely high here. And with Congress having the power of the purse strings, there's a lot of incentives that, um, that the federal government or Congress can, can give the states to assist um, and encourage them to either, you know, lowering their taxes, um, uh, programs to help with the with with the homelessness. There's a lot of churches who are willing to mm. um, to assist with helping with the homelessness. However, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars that go to these um, these programs that the either that's either state run or bidded out by 
by um, um, other community organizations and they mismanage the money. So I think, you know, the main power that Congress has is the power of the purse strings to at a, um, to. On a, on a personal level, Rhonda, if you're walking down the street and a homeless person uh, approaches you or when you're driving in your car, they come up to your car. Uh, what do you do? You give them money? Do you say things to them? How, how do you react on a on a one on one relationship uh, with a homeless person? Well, the first thing I do is I treat them like they're human beings because they are, and um, I ask them if they're okay. I ask them if they're if they're hungry. Sometimes I ask them how did they end up in this situation, and I and and ask them well what do they need to assist them in getting out of the situation. I, I a lot of times I have my my business card. I'm a practicing attorney. I give them that card, and um, and tell them that I I have connections to resources because I do in the in the community and other organizations, mm-hmm. and if they need help you know, to reach out to me. And I've, I've connected a lot of them um, to uh, different organizations that help them get off the street, get employed. Um, because a lot, a lot of times homeless people are, are unemployed because they can't even do the interview. They have no clean, they, they're, they're not clean. They can't take right. a shower. They can't put on some nice clothes to go do an interview. And there's organizations that actually assist them with that and help them find jobs. So um, that's typically what I do, or I'll buy them food. If they, if they're hungry, I will, I won't give them money. I'll go buy them food. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the other issues in California and obviously around the country, it's a hot button issue. It's the way in which Congress is handling the situation at our Southern border. You obviously have a lot of uh, illegal immigrants uh, uh, in the state of California, uh, legal and illegal, uh, probably a large number within your congressional district as well. Uh, if 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 you were elected to Congress, would that be one of the issues that you would like to focus on, or have you got two or three others that are at the top of your list? Well, that's one of the issues. That's, that's always an issue. And um, I, I think there needs to be um, a pathway to citizenship for people who have been here and um, um, it's following the law, not breaking the law. And we need to close, we need to close the border. We need to secure the border. That's, that's step number one that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Before we deal with the ones that are here now, we need to stop the flow and seal that border. Because one of the things that people don't realize is that human trafficking and, and sex trafficking of children is very high on the border. They're not monitored. There are grown men and women that come here with children that aren't their own children, and they're coming here specifically to sex traffic these children. And and um, and it's not just women; it's young boys and it's and it's and it's men that are are used. You know, they're modern day slaves. Mm-hmm. And and so we need to we need to secure the border for our safety as well as the protection. Um, from the victims where these predators, these sex predators, bring them over here to to sell them. Uh, the, the, the Trump administration had some programs in place, some of which are going to go away in the next several days. Uh, is that a good idea or bad idea? Did, did, did Trump have all good ideas or did he have some bad ideas as well? Well, of course, I think that's a good idea. But at the end of the day, Trump is human. I'm human. Do I agree with 100% of of the Trump administration? No, but I, I agree with 90% of it, and that's and, and that's all it takes. Do I agree with any Joe Biden? I I can say maybe one percent, if that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like a spouse. Do I agree with my husband 100 percent? Of course not, because at the end of the day, we're two separate human beings. But I think that President Trump did a fantastic job. I think that I was better off. My kids were better off and this country was better off when President Trump was president. Mm-hmm. You talked about your husband. You talked about your your family. Uh, on your website, you have a, a picture of uh, your family. We're showing them, uh, sharing it now on our uh, our YouTube channels. And uh, uh, there you are in the in the center with a bright red dress. For those watching us on television, uh, you've you've got a you've got a large family. My, my question to you is this: If you are a member of Congress, you've got a fly back and forth to California. You have one of the longest uh, flights uh, uh, that a member of Congress would have to take. But uh, how does that or how would that affect your ability to be a mother to your children? Uh, would they stay in the district? Would they go to Washington? Uh, have you have you thought about the, the family-related issues if you were to become uh, a member of Congress? Um, there really are no issues. My kids and I've, I've raised my children um, to be strong people. I raised my daughters to follow their dreams. And um, when I when I did my second run for Congress, I asked the triplets. I said, "Do you um, should mommy stop running or should she run again?" And they said, "No, you have to run. You can't quit." So I'm their role model, and I want to be a role model to every every little girl and every woman that's in this country and around the world that you can do what you want. You can be a mom, you can be a wife, and you can be a member of Congress. And and, I, and, and sometimes women are the ones that get asked this question. Men in Congress mm-hmm. don't get asked, how are you going to balance right. Congress and your family life? I'm not saying you, but I get this no, a lot from... I, no. But it's, but it's, that, but it's, uh, but it, 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 I mean, I think, I think it's a logical question for everybody. And again, uh, uh, you have triplets. How old are the triplets? They're nine. Nine. They're so, nine. Yes. So winning, so winning a seat in Congress may not be the most difficult thing you've done. No. Or the most painful, the Laying most painful my... thing you've done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, I actually, my, they wanted me to abort two of the triplets because it, it would have been such a hard pregnancy. I had a 5% chance of having them and I have three happy, healthy nine-year-olds today. And um, so that was, that was my miracle. And my, and I would like the kids to come to Congress with me. If, if you're elected, uh, one of the things, obviously, uh, there's there's a number of African American women running uh, for Congress uh, this year in both in both parties. My question to you is, what message would a victory by you send to the minority communities of America and to your district? That uh, that um, Martin Luther King's dream is very much alive. And we don't have to just be members of one party and put all our eggs in the basket. We can be members of both parties and work together to uh, to further not just you know um, minorities and African Americans in this country, but also the the country. And I think that you know that message will be sent, especially when I'm elected and they see me reaching across the aisle and working with the other side to get things done. Because right now nothing's really getting done. It's just the bunch of fighting and now there's infighting and we're sitting here suffering america and american people are suffering from the fighting and the infighting we need to work together like we used to do and get legislation and get this country moving if there are people listening or watching the program this evening that uh, like what they've heard from you uh are also uh 
possibly really despise Adam Schiff uh, and would like to see him replaced. Uh, how can they learn more or how can they become involved uh, by helping getting you to Congress? What can they do? Uh, look me up on my website, rondakennedy.com, Rhonda with no H, kennedy.com. And all my social media is there. They can follow me on social media, support me, donate, of course. Um, we all need money to run a campaign, but uh, I'm doing this for my country. I'm doing this for my children, mm -hmm. for everybody's children and our future. Rhonda, why are you a Republican? Last question. Because my great-great-grandfather was a runaway slave and ran away from his literal Democrat plantation and joined the Union Army as a water boy. So when it was time for me to register to vote, I refused to register as a Democrat because that was the party my grandfather um, fought and ran away from. So I've been a Republican since I was 18. Rhonda Kennedy, thank you very much for joining us on uh, this segment of uh, uh, Beyond the Beltway. We appreciate it very much. Again, you joined us a couple of years ago, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you uh, on the campaign. And again, uh, we'll keep an eye on Adam Schiff, see what new. Uh... By the way, one last question. Did he ever find the evidence that R Russia was involved in the Trump campaign like he held up and promised for uh, almost two years? Did he ever find that evidence? No, he didn't find the evidence. Huh. Because it was a lie. It was a hoax. <laughs> Holy. He wasn't telling the truth? That's I'm shocked. I'm shocked, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rhonda Kennedy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, candidate uh, for Congress in the 30th District that's in California. When we come back, we're going to talk to uh, someone who's also involved in an uphill fight, a tough fight, against someone who uh, is loved by many and hated by uh, maybe just as many. Uh, that's Jim Jordan from Ohio's 4th District. That's the candidate. And there's one guy by the name of Jeffrey Seitz, and he wants to retire Jim Jordan, send him back uh, to the wrestling camp. I'm Bruce Dubon, back shortly from Beyond the Beltway. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. 
If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Mr. Watt, back uh, with Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this hour, uh, we have reached out uh, to share with you uh, on this broadcast tonight uh, two people who are taking on uh, very tough races. They are running against, uh, and they're either some of the most popular members of Congress or I would say maybe some of the most hated members of Congress, because both of them are on TV a lot, and that, that, that in itself uh, ticks a lot of people off, and uh, you may or may not like what they have to say. But uh, one of those, uh, obviously, key leaders of the Republican Party in the House is Jim Jordan. He is a Republican from Ohio. And Jeffrey Seitz joins us. He is a Democrat, and he thinks it's time to retire uh, Jim Jordan. And uh, Jeff, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Thanks for having me on tonight. Tell me a little bit more about uh, the 4th District of Ohio. Give me some of the the towns and and townships and uh, uh, hamlets that are included in your congressional district. Well, I am from Lima, Ohio, and some of the towns that we have is Wapakoneta. You may know it better from the hometown of Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. We have Bell Fountain, Ohio, which is the highest point in Ohio. And we have places like Delaware and um, Mansfield, Ohio. Okay. Well, Mansfield I've heard of, and I've heard of uh, Lima, Ohio. But it, is it Lima or Lima? It is Lima like the Lima beans. Lima like the Lima beans. Okay. Um you have run for office before, like our previous guest. What was it about what Jim Jordan did or said that made you uh, jump in the race again, trying to retire him? Well, again, it was when I came through my work cafeteria, I heard the commotion on, on the TV, and I turned around to see the Capitol under attack. And as a military, military policeman, a veteran, I was appalled by what I saw, Americans attacking our capital. And that's when I decided to run again. And uh, do you believe after all these months uh, since that event, January 6th, 
do you think that members of Congress, um, is there enough question about what happened on that day to warrant an investigation by the House of Representatives? Or do you think it's a foregone conclusion? Basically, what you saw on TV, uh, that's enough for the American people to know. Well, we just can't go by what we saw on the TV. We have right. to gather evidence, make sure the rule of law prevails. And I think that the January 6th committee is gathering that evidence to move forward and to really find out what happened that day, who was involved, and hold them accountable. Would you acknowledge that if you were to look at the makeup of the current membership of that committee, most of them either would be partisan Democrats, which obviously that makes sense if they're members of a congressional committee, and some of the others are Republicans who are not known for their close friendship or belief in the Trump political doctrine. Would you say that's fair assessment of, of the overall makeup of the, of the committee? I would say that's fair to the Democrats because we want to get to the bottom of it. The two Republicans on there, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, I hold them in, in high regard because they are standing up to their morals and they are looking out after the country, not out after Trump. And, uh, you know, the Republicans had a chance to put different members of Congress from right. the Republican side on that committee. committee. They chose that they didn't want to do that. Including Jim Jordan. Now, my, my question to you is, uh, and this is, where, this is where people get in, whether you like Jim Jordan or you hate Jim Jordan, uh, and, and there are those on the, on the left side of Congress as well, but Jim Jordan is a pit bull. If, if you want to find out what the truth is, don't you sometimes need a pit bull that's going to go beyond the standard line of questioning that might come from a congressional committee? Well, you can't have someone that is probably involved in the insurrection okay. on the committee. It's like putting uh, a murderer's friend on the jury. Okay. So investigating the incident would require him to be a possible witness, and he should testify before the committee, but let's not let him ask questions because he may know too much or be in a protective mode. That is correct. I, okay. I feel like there's more to be uncovered of Jim Jordan's involvement in the insurrection, and that's yet to come. Okay. And uh, as, as you look ahead, if you get elected, that, that will be a big story on election night. And again, for the reasons that we're doing this program this evening, a lot of people will be happy that Jim Jordan uh, may be going to the retirement home. But my question to you is, what are the issues? What, what are the things that Jim Jordan is not doing back in the 4th District of Ohio that uh, is uh, fodder for your, uh, your, your activities? Well, you can look at his record. Um, he has introduced zero bills in his time in Congress. To me, if I would do that as a warehouse manager, completely not do my job, I'd be fired by now. Um, he has introduced zero bills. So he is not looking out after the, the people of Ohio by any means. Is he too busy being on television? Uh, he's too busy being on television and yet he can write a book, but yet 
not do his job. And specifically, does he show up at uh, town meetings uh, around the district? Again, give us some more examples, if you will, of how he has fallen by the wayside. Um, One example is I tried to get into an event in Huron County, the old Ohio Fourth. I was stopped at the door, even though it was advertised as a town hall meeting. Jim Jordan is my representative. I was denied access to a town hall that turned out to be a fundraising event. Um, He comes into uh, the district with zero notice, um, comes in. Two days later, we find out about it through the news media that he was in town. So he's just... He doesn't want to talk to his voters except for his base um, so he can just um, fill them full of fear and divide us. What is his base? Uh, His base is the MAGA crowd, the QAnon crowd, the Trump supporters. That is his base. That is not the true Republicans out there. The true Republicans are the people like Liz Cheney that care about their country, was upset and and mad about what happened on January 6th and want to see our country put back together again. So are you are you actively reaching out to Republicans to enter uh, the Democratic primary and support you? Or don't they have to support you in the primary? You have other candidates, don't you? Or are um, you running by yourself? I have a... I have a primary candidate okay. um, that will be decided on May 3rd. Okay, so my, um, but, my question is, do you want Republicans to jump into that primary and vote for Jeff Sykes? If they choose to, that's fine. Um, my, I would rather have them look at me for the general election, come meet me, let's talk. Um, we don't have to yell at each other. We're not going to get anywhere with that. But we have to decide whether we're going to repair this country and the democracy that it is and move forward and kick out the people like the Trumpsters, the Magus, and and get those Jim Jordans out of Congress so we can actually do something for the American people. Now, speaking of Donald Trump, you've mentioned him a couple of times this past week. He made some news by endorsing uh, J.D. Vance in the Republican primary. And I know that's across the aisle, but as a political animal, uh, were you surprised by that endorsement? And uh, what does that endorsement say to you about the political uh, life at the moment in the state of Ohio? Well, the Republican side in the Senate race is too crowded um, to even even for me to think who's going to win. Mm-hmm. J.D. Vance, um, I've seen some of his commercials in my hometown. I've seen Josh Mandel. Josh Mandel let's put it nicely. He's, he's not the guy for, for America. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many, I, I can't even remember how many Republicans are running for the Senate for the primary. Did, did once upon a time you maybe liked JD Vance in his earlier incarnation as an author and, uh, as a sometime critic of the Trump administration? Uh, I could say I have, I don't have an opinion of him. Um, I haven't read his book, so you know, if if okay. he comes out on top of the primary, okay. I'm sure um, I'm hoping that one of the Democrats that's going to come through the primary will uh, win the election. What is it about your background? Tell us about your background and, and why you think that is unique to serve uh, your district, uh, the 4th District of Ohio. Well, I in, entered the Army in 87 as a military policeman. I served there until 90. Then I rotated to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia 
as a military spouse, and I was a DOD police officer down there in Georgia. Um, after the military um, affiliations, I started driving a forklift. I move up through the ranks, and now I'm a warehouse manager by trade. So I know what it's like for Americans to uh, struggle. I struggled myself after the Great Recession, um, being unemployed for two years, uh, not having any health care, worrying about whether I can go to the doctor and get treated for you know a back injury that I had. Um, those are the things that I can relate to Americans. And that's what America is about, having somebody of the people serve them, not the other way around. And again, what was the turning point in your turnaround? You mentioned 22 months without, without a job. Uh, give us the short version of what turned it around. Uh, I just... We've got to break... I was forgive just, me, I, 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 was, asked a, I asked a question. We've got to go to a commercial break. So you've got a couple of minutes to think of the answer. But again, okay. uh, 22 months without a job, that would pull your hair out. I see that you pulled some of it out. But when we come back, we'll <laughs> talk about uh, what kept the rest of that head of hair. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Jill, why didn't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Song again. Yay. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today, here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Yay. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Yay. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We continue with Jeff Seitz. He is a Democrat running in the 4th District of Ohio. He's running against uh, Jim Jordan. He joins us tonight. Uh, Before the break, uh, I had asked you the question, uh, during that 22 months when you were sort of uh, uh, out of work and and looking for a place to to bounce back, uh, what was the turning point? Was there a turning point in in that 22-month period that uh, kind of uh, set you back on track? Uh, The turning point came when my unemployment ran out. I had somebody contact me about selling insurance. So I got my insurance license and uh, quickly realized I was not a salesman. And so I, I struggled through that for about a year. And then I found a job uh, driving a forklift again. So for the next uh, six months, I was a, just a regular forklift driver. My new boss recognized my skills as a supervisor. I became a supervisor, started climbing the train again, chain again. And, um, you know, it took me 10 years to recover from when I lost my job originally to where I ended up as a warehouse manager, 10 mm-hmm. whole years. And you talk about a humbling experience. That is very humbling. Do those who have received surplus checks from the government in the past, do they deserve another one now? You mean in relation to COVID? Yes. I think we have done enough um, to help us all recover from that period of time. Um, There are certain aspects of the population, like um, women that may not be able to get back to the workplace because of childcare issues, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe, but we are in a place where the national debt is a tad bit out of control, and I think we need to rein it in. Mm -hmm. So you would be somewhat of a democratic hawk on finances? Um, Actually, I'm I'm more towards the middle than than the far left. Mm -hmm. Um, I can actually, you know, way, way back in the day when I was younger, I was a Republican. Um, So, and being a police officer, I understand about, you know, the police forces, how they operate, uh, my nephew's a police officer, so you know I'm I'm kind of down the middle with all that, and I see that we do have to gain rein in that uh, that deficit. Where were you um, a police officer? Back on track. Where were you a police officer? I was a well, I was a military policeman in the army, okay. and then I was a DOD police officer down at Fort Benning, Georgia. It's basically um, Department of Defense police officer does the same thing as a military police officer in Fort Benning. Is there anything that Congress can do to address the issues of race and policing around the country? There is always something that we can do to address um, police and racism. Is it just more Um, pouring more money into it? Are there innovative things that can be done other than, uh, you know, adding, you know, 
you know, $100 million to uh, uh, some uh, government program that's going to be trickled trickle down through the states? Actually, we need to support the police forces. The, the defund police was the stupidest thing that ever materialized out of anybody. Um, the police force needs to be funded to serve and protect Americans. Now, with that being said, there are police officers that put themselves in, in bad situations and bad things happen. Um, I've seen that time and time again where me, as being trained as a police officer, said to myself, I wouldn't have done that. I would have backed away and reassessed the situation. Um, I've done that a couple of times in my career. Should, it, should it be? Should it, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. It, it's just it's also about community policing, um, having the police force interact more with the public to to give the public more confidence. Now, on the flip side, some of these departments and the unions out there must get those bad actors away from the police forces. They are hurting the morale of of the police force they're hurting the morale of the the public interacting with the police force um that's the other side of the sword that nobody wants to talk about should it be easier for a police officer like like you described yourself who sees something going wrong or sees a partner or someone in his department acting in a inappropriate way is there some way that they could inform on the bad cop or is the is the thin blue line uh, so strong that uh, the police department would react in a very negative way to anyone that finger points from within the department? Let me put it this way. As in the military and as in the police force, you put your life in the hands of a partner or your squad, as in the case of the military, now, if you cross that line, um, bad things can happen. We have friendly fire accidents within the military. You could be out on a call in a dangerous situation, and some of your um, patrol buddies may not come to your rescue. Mm -hmm. It is a very delicate situation that these officers have to endure to do their job well and not be, you know, be able to go home to their families at night. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I would, I know that it's difficult. If you uh, got elected to Congress, one of the first things that you will do next year is vote for speaker. Do you believe that Nancy Pelosi should be reelected as speaker of the house? That's a good question. Thank you. Um, I, th I believe that, and she's probably going to get mad at me. Um, I think it's time for the next generation of leaders to come up and it's time for uh, Speaker Pelosi to pass that torch and um, guide that next generation into, um, you know, leading this nation as they go off to, you know, retirement mm -hmm. and uh, other endeavors. Well, Jeff, you might have given us a nice piece of news at the end of your interview, unless you've already told, <laughs> said that before. But again, uh, Jeff Seitz has been our guest. He is a Democrat, obviously a little more conservative Democrats than some we've had on this program. Jeff, if people want to know more about your campaign or donate or whatever, how do they do that? You have two ways. It could, you could go to SeitzForCongress.com. 
slash donate or go Jeff for the number four dot US. Jeff four dot US. And it's sites S I T E S candidate for yes. Congress. Democratic 4th District running against Jim Jordan. Also, thanks to Rhonda Kennedy for joining us this evening. She is running against Adam Schiff, a Republican, a Democrat, tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for Fritz Goldman. Happy Easter, everybody. See you next week. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, But our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless, and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.